Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Mary Scott Mercer and Rachel Autry bring weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Behind the Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Mary Scott, and today I'm interviewing my new friend, Felicia Masonheimer. Felicia is an author and a speaker teaching women how to discern what is true, discuss the deep stuff, and accomplish God's will for their specific lives. She holds a BS in religion from Liberty University, where she met her husband, Josh, and now lives in northern Michigan with her two daughters, Adeline and Geneva. In this episode, we talk about why women need theology in today's culture. In a world full of messages about creating your own truth and your own version of the gospel, we as women need to grow in our own biblical literacy so that we can discern what is true in our culture today. I could talk about this topic all day long, and I simply loved my time with Felicia. So without further ado, let's dive on in. Well, hey, Felicia, welcome to Behind the Bliss. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. I am just literally over the moon excited to have you on the show today. I um, I was actually, a coworker of mine sent me your Instagram profile probably a few weeks ago, probably the very day I sent you a direct message and asked you to come on the show because I've just gotten so passionate about theology and women and I just am like, over the moon for our conversation today. So can you just take a few minutes and tell us who you are, what you do, how you spend your days, and all of the fun stuff like that? Sure. So I'm Felicia Masonheimer. If you have a hard time pronouncing it, it's okay. I do too. I <laughs> did not plan on having such a funky name, but I married a German man. So what can you do? I, um, I am... Like I said, married to my husband, Josh, we met while we were attending Liberty University in Virginia. Um, and we have two daughters, ages three and a half and one and a half. And we live in Northern Michigan, which is the top of the mitten, if you're familiar with the, <laughs> the state. <laughs> um, but what I'm most known for is Bible teaching, uh, mainly in the realm of theology for women. So I don't write Bible studies. Um, I don't even teach that much on specifically how to study the Bible, though I strongly encourage it all the time on my social media and on Mm. my blog. I mainly teach women how to break down what they studied and apply it to daily life. So theology in action, if you will. Um, And that will affect business that will affect motherhood, that will affect marriage, that will affect your work. And so I talk about all of those things, how our theology directly affects those things. Um, So it's really exciting. It's super fun. We talk a lot about discernment. You know, how do I discern what is right um, and what is wrong or what is good and what is bad um, in each situation that we're put in in this life? And how does the Bible actually come alive for us as we are walking through our average Tuesday? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Well, I I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the way our culture is probably in the last year or working in full-time ministry or whatever it is. But I just feel like, I don't know if the Lord's broken my heart about it, or I just feel a whole nother level of fire and like responsibility when it comes to women in theology. But I think maybe more than ever, and you can agree or disagree with me on this, but more than ever, 
Um, women are in need of understanding theology, and yet they're also more than ever women not understanding theology mm-hmm. at all. And so I'd love to just talk a little bit about why now or why in general, specifically now in our culture, do you think that women are desperate to know the Bible for themselves? Well, I agree with you that there has almost never been another time where it's been so important. I think you could say that about every age, you know, Um, but I think back to, if you look in scripture at that verse, we often hear quoted that says a woman should learn in silence and all submission. Um, If she wants to know the truth, Paul was writing this to know scripture, she should ask her husband at home. And we aren't going to get into the interpretations of that. But Mm -hmm. one thing we know for sure, women could not be theologically educated at that time when Paul was writing that. They were not accustomed to being taught like a rabbi would teach most of the men who were in the synagogue and then the the Greeks who were joining the synagogue as it became um, a Christian church. And for those women to be told by Paul, go home and ask your husband. He's the most theologically educated person in your home. Have him teach you theology. That was revolutionary mm-hmm. for Paul to say, educate your women. Mm-hmm. And so now when we look at today, we look at our culture today. Unfortunately, we've had a solid 50, 60 years of teaching to women that was not the same as what is being taught to men. There's this assumption that um, because a man can go into, you know, a pastoral position, Mm. then women don't need that knowledge. You know, we just kind of call it quits. Like, well, men are pastors and we won't, again, that's another whole can of worms we won't get into on this episode, but let's just say, <laughs> let's just say, deal with this directly. They, a lot of people assume, you know, men can only be pastors. So why would a woman need this understanding if she's going to be quote unquote, just a stay at home mom? And the reality is we've, we've downplayed mm-hmm. not only the importance of theology, but the importance of theology for women as they are taking gospel into their homes. And if women don't understand the gospel, how are they going to witness to their kids? How are they wow, going to witness yeah. to their coworkers, to their parents, mm-hmm. to their siblings? They need theology just as much. Absolutely. Well, I think this is where someone might be confused and they're like, well, I do Bible study at church and I'm doing, you know, I'm reading so-and-so's book. And I think I had this revelation maybe in the last year as well. Maybe it's just all this year. I'm like, my eyes are unveiled. But a lot of people don't know the difference between reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, and growing in their own mental knowledge of the Lord, and then consuming just other people's um, Mm. thoughts on the Word. And I don't mean to say that by saying, you know, everyone that writes about God is writing books that no one needs to read. That's not the problem. I think a lot of people are choosing or they think that it's the same by reading someone else's version of the Bible instead of their own. And so, if someone doesn't know like how to even open their Bible and learn to read it for themselves, like how would you even encourage them to begin that process? Because I think it can be very daunting. Someone might think, oh my gosh, there's, you know, over 50 books in the Bible. I don't know where to start. Like, I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how it applies to me. And so what are just some foundational tools and knowledge that you recommend to people as they learn, you know, to just read the Bible, simply the Bible? Yes, I love this question um, because it really is an epidemic 
problem where we have um, created in women's ministry a dependence on secondhand interpretation. So mm. people will read a Christian lifestyle book or basically self-help with a few Bible verses and call that their quiet time. And while you may learn about God through that, um, you're not actually understanding what the Bible itself says. And what if that author is wrong? Right. You know, what if that author actually is misled on something they're sharing with you, you will not be rooted and grounded in the word to know. Right. Um, and so when we have somebody who, and this happens with my ministry all the time where women say like, no one has ever once taught me how to sit down with a Bible and actually read it for myself. Right. I try to simplify it down. You don't have to read the whole thing in one year, your first time reading through the Bible. You don't have to do, you know, a, a time frame reading plan. Take the book of John, just the book of John, read a passage a day. Maybe it's a chapter or maybe you only do, you know, 10 verses because a lot is happening in that chapter. Take notes on your thoughts and ask two questions. What does this passage tell me about God? Who is he? How does he act? What do I learn about him? And secondly, how does it change how I live? How does this knowledge of who God is and how he acts and how he interacts with humanity, how does that change how I live? Mm. And the reason that this is this works is it's simple. All you're doing is reading the passage, taking notes on it, writing down your thoughts, and then answering those two questions. I'll, of course, be praying through this too. And when you're done, though, you learn two things. You learned who God is, which is what the point of the Bible is. That's what, the, well, that's what it is. The Bible is a book about God. It's not a book about us. Mm. And when you learn who God is, that will then change how you live. That's the funny mm. thing about women's ministry today is we've spent a lot of time talking about who we are because we think that's right. what we need to focus on to fix ourselves, to become more Christ-like. But the reality is if we want to be more Christ-like, we just need to focus and look at Christ. And you can only do mm. that through the Bible itself. Oh, that's so good. I think, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like I've been feeling convicted in the last however long about how consumeristic I was, even about church. Just, you know, I don't want to go to so-and-so's church because, you know, they have great teaching, but their worship isn't that great. Or, you know, the other way around. And I just felt like the Lord whispered to me, like, this isn't about you. <laughs> this is about me. And I think you're right. Some people will say, well, I'm not getting much out of my Bible study. And that's because they're looking for how, you know, the scripture changes them. But what you're trying to say and what I think you're communicating is the reality of who God is, is what changes us. It's yes. not us changing ourselves. Yes. Yes. So well put. That's so good. It's so good. Well, when you're doing that, do you have any favorite resources that you use while you're going about? Not that, not that we're trying to push resources, but do you have <laughs> resources or like books that you read while you were trying to learn what this meant for you that you recommend to others in this process? Yeah. And I'm not against resources. I'm not against Christian lifestyle books. I mean, I have one coming out in 2020 and I hope people buy it and read it, but I also <laughs> hope, I also hope that they don't let it become their time with God because it's not time with God. It's time with Felicia, you know? Right, exactly. So I, I want them to be in the actual word. And so resources are awesome, but there's a difference between a book that's uh, talking about identity and plugging in verses to talk about that. That's a good thing 
but that's not actually breaking down the word of God in its actual context so that you understand it. So if you want to learn how to study the Bible itself, a couple great resources. Um, first, I would suggest a Bible concordance. And what this okay. is, Strong's Concordance is the most popular one. And this might be a little advanced if you're just starting out, but it is good to have on hand because if there's a word that you don't understand, you can look up that word in Strong's Concordance and find it in the Hebrew or the Greek, Hebrew if it's the Old Testament, Greek if it's the New, and it will tell you all the other ways that word has been used. So maybe it, the word is, um, I can. you're looking at the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you look up strengthens and you find out that it also means um, enables. And so you get more context to what that word meant. Mm-hmm. And it broadens your understanding of scripture. So the first one would be Strong's Concordance. The second one would be a Bible encyclopedia or an illustrated Bible dictionary. Zondervan has a great one. And this basically has maps and short little descriptions of places and people who are in the Bible. So if you're reading the account about Solomon and you say, I don't really know a whole lot about Solomon, you can go look up Solomon and it'll give you a whole synopsis of who he was, what he did, and when he lived. Mm -hmm. And It's super helpful if you need a little bit of context so you know more of what's going on. So those two would be a great start. And then commentaries are also awesome. Um, These can come book by book. So you could get a commentary only on the book of Ezekiel, or you could get a commentary on the whole Old Testament or the whole New Testament. But the thing with commentaries to keep in mind is they are a person commenting on the text, a pastor, a theologian. So you're going to be getting someone's bias in that um, interpretation. So commentaries are awesome, but read the commentary after you've done your study. So those would be some Absolutely. good starting starting resources. I love that so much. And I think what you're what you're showing us as women is the importance of being mm-hmm. our own theologian um, and how we all are theologians, especially as we mother and we work and, um, you know, we're wives, because I think the gospel intersects in each of those scenarios. So thank you so much for just clarifying that, because I think so many of us, especially in this kind of create your own version of the gospel culture that we're living in, it's so important that we just get back to the basics and just root down and say, does that actually what the Bible says? And I would just be curious, like, do you have a filter that you use when you are consuming um, social media or a sermon from a pastor or anything like that, that you just kind of think in your mind, okay, that checks the mark for being sound doctrine, that doesn't? Like, how do you approach any kind of um, consumeristic content that we get like in our culture? And then is it ever beneficial to consume information from people who don't necessarily believe the same things as we do? So I'll address the first question um, first. When I am listening to different pastors and authors and teachers, um, I try to take into account that there may be, there will be a bias, a theological bias, an approach they're taking. I might not agree with all of it. But because I'm grounded in the word of God, because I know what it says and I'm daily or at least every other day studying this out, spending time with the Lord, and I have the Holy Spirit as every believer does, if they say something that's 
you know, unsettling to me, I might mark it down. Mm -hmm. If I'm listening to a podcast or something, mark it down and then go research it more later and look into it more. Um, I never listen to a pastor, even somebody as great as say Matt Chandler or um, Leighton Flowers or John Piper. I think, oh, these Mm -hmm. guys are amazing. I'm never going to listen to him and say their word is law. They have a grasp on, you know, everything there is to say. And they would even tell you, we don't, you know, we don't speak for God. We're trying to understand and interpret scripture too. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at these pastors as helpful in your walk, but that they would expect you to check what they say against scripture, it helps you to use that filter to be discerning and to return back to, um, the Bible itself as your guide. Now, is it ever beneficial to listen to people you don't agree with? Absolutely. I do this all the time. Now, part of it is my job. Um, So I'm going to give a little caveat. Yeah, I listen to all different denominations. um, And that's actually a big passion of mine. A big part of what I do is interdenominational unity. Now, I do not mean interfaith unity. I mean, between Methodists and Presbyterians and non-denom and Baptists, finding the things we can unite around, learning from one another, but also knowing, you know what, I I don't actually agree with you on your theological approach here. That's okay. So I will listen to them, but I always return back to the word and say, okay, does this check out? Um, Maybe this is just a different interpretation of that passage. It's not heresy. It's not affecting our view of Christ or salvation. So this is a freedom issue. But the one time I would say, you know, you mm-hmm. shouldn't be listening to people um, who who are, you know, on the line, um, maybe theologically, not just different denominations, but they're kind of walking away from Orthodox Christianity or walking away from what has been traditionally rooted in scripture for 2000 years. Mm-hmm. You, if you're a new believer, if you are new to theology, new to Bible study, you're not ready for that yet. Right. You're not ready to be, you know, re- listening to people who are teaching something contrary to what the church has taught for 2000 years. It's going to confuse you. So stick with people who are solid theologically, even if they're different denominations. Um, and I have a list actually of teachers that I recommend in the different traditions. So if somebody wants that, they can go to my Instagram and it's under the book recommendations highlight. All of my favorite okay. authors in the tradition, different traditions are listed there. Amazing. I'll make sure to link that. And I just am grateful for that distinction because, yeah, I always say, you know, even if it's coming down to reading certain books that are very self-helpy, they're really not, you know, solid theological books at all, but maybe they're like a, I don't want to say any names, but maybe they're kind of um, books that will help you grow your business or whatever it is, but yeah. it kind of has a Christian tie. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I feel like when people talk about books that like those that are maybe controversial and they wonder how maybe I can read them, I think it's just because I have so much 
of my own discernment, not like I'm holier than thou, but I just, because I'm so saturated in the word all the time, just for personal and for work, like I'll be able to see the red flags. And so it's not going to impact my daily walk. And so I think that's a really incredible reminder because I'm always really saddened by those who I know who are maybe a little younger in their walk with the Lord and they're consuming things that maybe, you know, sound really good and they preach really well. And, you know, that's kind of the, the kind of Christian ease that we get these days. They tickle our ears. They make us feel better. They're sort of just these health, health and wealth, prosperity kind of messages and people who aren't so um, disciplined and saturated in what the word says are easily um, fooled or consumed with this kind of teaching. And so I'd love to just kind of transition to that. I kind of feel like as women, we right now in our culture are told you know, you can do it. You got this mama, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, you will achieve X, Y, and Z. And I don't know about you, but I, A, I know that that's not true and not what the Bible says, but I also feel like it's quite exhausting. And so what kind of like hope can you offer a woman who just feels like, oh my gosh, this is another message that's telling me I can't measure up, (laughs) you know, like what am I doing wrong? Like what kind of hope can we extend to someone who's just feeling like they need to hustle and strive and earn for God's love and affection? Well, the first thing is, you know, if we feel like if you're reading something that is indicating you need to hustle and strive to earn God's affection, you know, right away, based on scripture, based on what we see all throughout the New Testament, that we can't earn God's affection, right? In and of ourselves, by Mm -hmm. ourselves. We are not enough on our own. And that should actually be a big relief if you think about it. You know, we Mm -hmm. see so much Mm -hmm. in today's culture about you're enough, you're enough, you're enough. Well, what if we just accepted, I'm not enough, so that's why I feel this way, (laughs) (laughs) or I'm not enough on my own, but There is a savior who makes me enough that in him, Mm. he has rescued me from my own weakness. And when I walk with him, I have everything I need for every demand on my life. I don't have to earn my salvation. It's not even on the table, but he has given it to me. Mm. And so once I walk in that, I know my full enoughness. So we Mm. are enough to the degree that we depend on the salvation of Christ. That is so good. It is so good. And oh oh my gosh, I just think so many of us are like, I'll read. And I I think this is too, because I kind of have a wing three on the Enneagram. So I'm already struggling with like perfectionism and achievement. (laughs) So I'm already like feeling that hustle and perfection drive on my own. But to then read content that's telling me that if I just get up 30 minutes earlier and, you know, do whatever I need to do, kind of like this formula to life. And those things aren't, I think it's also an important distinction to say, like those things that maybe are being suggested in and of themselves aren't wrong. But when we take them as like the the bread and butter, or the milk and honey, whatever you want to say, as like how we're going to be better and achieve the life we want, then we're going to be sorely dis disappointed when things like suffering happen, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, as first Peter tells us, we shouldn't be surprised when we're experiencing trials of all kind. But for some reason, I think probably because of the message that we're being fed, when we experience those things in our life, we wonder what we did wrong and how we can fix it. And so, oh, it just, it feels almost like a false gospel because it's completely contrary to what the Bible says is going to happen to us as believers, you know? 
Yeah, it is. And so I am an Enneagram three. I'm achievement. Oh, yeah. So you can relate. To oh, me. <laughs> yes. Achievement can so easily become an idol. I love to work. And so when I read books like that, you know, I, I love self-help books. In fact, if I could only read self-help books, you know, I probably would. <laughs> I think they're so fun because they give these quick ways to improve yourself. And that's like a classic Enneagram 3 addiction. Right. Uh, as I've grown in my walk with God, I, I see what happens when I read too many because they can be helpful. But if you read too many, the appeal of them is that like kick in the butt to get stuff done, to change yourself. And there is a level of personal responsibility in our walk with God. Absolutely. You know, he's not going to hand life to you on a platter. You have to obey. You have to have integrity. You know, we see that all through the book of Proverbs. However, we see over and over it repeated that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we want the wisdom to make good decisions, to have a good routine, to handle our relationships. We actually have to start not by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, not by getting a kick in the booty by a great self-help book, but by having reverence for God. And that begins by being mm. in the word. So if you're rooted and grounded in the word of God, then you're going to have the discernment to read the self-help book and say, you know what? This does give me a great idea for a morning routine. And this does give me, you know, tell me, you know what, I have been lazy in this area, but I know that changing these things has nothing to do with my innate worth. And if I wake up tomorrow and I am sick and I can't do these things, I still have worth apart from what I have achieved. I have had mm. to learn this so deeply in the last year. I have an autoimmune disease that none of my doctors have been able to figure out. And really? yeah, um, I've had it for three years, but in the last year, it has been devastating. And I have never had anything in my life stand in the way of me being able to achieve, me being able to mm. accomplish what I set out to do and to actually have something happen where I have to have a babysitter watch my children so I can lay in my bed unable to see was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. And just like you were wow. saying, it's in that moment, self-help falls really short. Self-help has no answer for suffering. Right. It has no, mm -hmm. it can give you no worth in suffering because you are what you achieve. And so when we wow. have the discernment to see through the self-help gospel, we can see that, yes, maybe some of these things are helpful. Yes, they help me with my habits but they cannot be my lens for looking at my life because if they are, eventually I am going to think I have no value when suffering hits me. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I know so many people are probably thinking, oh yeah, this makes me feel so much better. You know, I read that or I listened to so-and-so's podcast about all the things I could do and they just feel like they're failing and what a beautiful hope for our weary hearts when we are like, I just cannot do it. And like you said, you're right. We aren't enough. And what an exciting leafering thing to say. Oh my gosh, it's not up to us. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, okay. Well, something kind of on the same topic of just, you know, how do we be driven? How do we want to work and do things well, hand in hand with 
the Lord and the gospel, you kind of merged those two things when you created your German Women e-course that I'm actually participating in right now that has been so helpful for me. Um, So can you kind of just, well, A, tell the listener what this e-course is that you created and then the beautiful hope that you offer by attaching work to, you know, the Bible and what God has called us to do in our work. Yeah. So it's kind of funny um, because I do talk a lot about the self-help gospel and, you know, the damaging sides of this. And yet I teach on productivity. So I think some people... I love it, but you do it in the best way. (laughs) Might be like, um, what is going on here? But one of the things I realized through my own walk through stress and wanting to be productive and then having kids and that changes things up, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you're getting interrupted and I'm a work from home mom. So everything I do is during nap time. (laughs) And what I learned was I can either be constantly productive and completely stress myself and my family out, or I can discipline myself to manage my time well, and then be free to enjoy my family and enjoy what God has given me. So discipline actually leads to freedom. Amen. And it's yep. <laughs> and it's an it's an ironic thing, right? Like it it doesn't make sense because I think a lot of people hear like discipline, setting up a routine, not a schedule, a routine, flexible routine. Mm-hmm. Um and they think that's going to inhibit me, but it doesn't actually because when you are intentional about when you do things and how you do them, you know exactly what needs to happen with that time. And then when that task is done, it's done and everything else is open to you. And the funny thing is procrastinators, I chief among them, procrastinators tend to actually be more stressed, more exhausted, more mentally anxious because they don't have a designated time when they're doing these tasks. It just follows them around in the back of their mind all day. And I discovered, you know, if I actually just do it, like if I just allot it a time and do the task, I am now free. Discipline brought me freedom. And so that's the basis of the whole Driven Women course is just to teach flexible routines that work for your lifestyle. It's I'm not going to hand you an eight to five schedule. I don't, as you know, I don't promote hour by hour schedules. Yes. Yeah, so just choose some that. tasks. Yeah. <laughs> because if you do that, right, it falls apart as soon as, as one thing goes off course. So right. um, you just adapt the, the routine to your life. And give yourself grace. I call it grace-driven productivity because God is a worker. He's a worker. He is a creator. And in his working, he integrated rest. He mandated rest from creating. That's what the Sabbath was. So we aren't meant to continually hustle. We're meant and designed to have periods of rest. And that's not just one day a week, though I do that. It's also integrated into your day, having these Mm -hmm. periods of transition, as I call them, or going from morning to noon. That's a transition. And from um, afternoon to evening and building rest into those transitions so that you can be your your best efforts for the time frame that you are on task. So there's a lot more I could say Mm -hmm. about that, but all of that is in the Driven Women course. I will make sure for sure to link the e-course because even just like this morning, I've started implementing my morning routine that I learned from the course. And I told my husband, I was like, wow, all the stuff that I had to do today is over. (laughs) 
And it's just because I started doing like a load of laundry every morning and just not thinking about it. It's like you said in the course, like we don't think about waking up in the morning and brushing our teeth. We just do them, but we learned that habit through our life. And so I am just trying to learn all the new routines and habits. I'm so thankful for the course and I'll make sure to linking because I know we have a lot of driven women who listen to our podcast. So um, Felicia, I kind of want to switch gears and kind of hear about what you might be loving right now, what you might be reading and just anything that you can't get enough of right now. Oh boy. I could give you a book list so, (laughs) so long. I love books. I have so many and I review them all the time um, because people want to know, you know, different authors. So I'm always trying to find good resources on different topics. And one that I am reading right now I've known about it for years, um, but finally I'm reading it, is called How Could a Loving God by Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. If you're familiar with the Creation Museum oh. or the Ark Encounter, um, both in Kentucky, it's a full-size replica of Noah's Ark. The Creation Museum is amazing. It's phenomenal. It's a must-visit for every believer. Um, wow. But the book is How Could a Loving God, and it addresses the question that we hear so often how could a loving God allow or even cause grief and suffering? And it answers that question. Um, So that's what I'm reading. I'm actually reading about seven different books right now, but that's the one that I think is going to be most helpful and a great recommendation for people who are you know, that's a question we all ask yeah. at some point. Well, I was going to say, is are you someone who, while writing a book, can consume a ton of books at the same time, or do they have to be different topics? Yes, actually. So um, when I'm writing a book, I just finished in a short devotional on for women who struggle with affection and physical touch that's coming out in June. Um, and so I do read while I'm writing, but I read multiple books at once and I read them in short snippets. So I'll read one chapter of one book and one chapter of another book, depending on how I feel and what I'm interested in at that moment. Um, Amazing. It helps me get through the books faster because I'm actually interested. You know how you lose interest in a book and you're like, I don't really Mm want to finish this anymore. If I keep all of them going, (laughs) then I'm more likely to finish them all. Um, But yeah, I I do read while writing, but I don't usually read on the topic that I'm writing on. Gotcha. Gotcha. Totally. Well, are you allowed to kind of share about the book that you're going to be releasing? Are we allowed to know anything about the topics that you're writing on? Yes, sure. So, so I do have a lot of plates spinning. The book on affection is coming out in June. That's a separate self-published book from the one coming out in 2020. So the one coming out in 2020 is traditionally published with Harvest House Publishers. And this one is about basically what we were talking about. We were talking about the self-help gospel. And it's talking about how we have received this half gospel message for so long that either begins with, you're so beautiful, Jesus came to earth because you were so desirable, which isn't true to scripture, mm. or, <laughs> or we get a gospel that is so focused on sin and so focused on being sinners that we never learn how to walk out our overcoming identity in Christ. Wow. And so when we put the pieces together, you know, yes, we are sinners and Christ came to save us, but now in Christ, we are overcomers. When we mm. embrace that identity, the book gets into here's how we overcome legalism. Here's how we overcome fear. Here's how we walk through grief. Here's how Jesus actually 
practically empowers us to live his overcoming life in these areas. We don't have to keep going in circles and reading another self-help book because truly the gospel frees us to be overcomers. Um, So that's coming out in spring 2020. Wow, wow, wow. I cannot wait for that. I will be the first person to pre-order and grab a copy of that. I'll make sure to follow all of your pre-order information so we can push our audience to grab a copy of that because I know they're going to want to read that after our conversation with you today. But I really, I just want to stop and thank you because I think in our culture and social media, there's so much of what we are talking about that's being shoved down our throats. And I just, the moment I came across your ministry, I just felt like I could breathe because I think women are so ready and so hungry to learn more about the Bible and they want to know more and they want to be called to a higher standard of learning, but they just don't know how. And it's people like you and people like Jen Wilkin who are equipping a generation to do that. And so I just, I couldn't not have you on behind the bus to just kind of begin the conversation with our audience because this is just such a needed topic. So I'm so grateful for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm glad you brought up Jen Wilkin actually, because I meant to say earlier, her book, Women of the Word would be my top recommendation for anybody starting Mm -hmm. out. Um, Jen doesn't know me at all, but I am her number one fan. I love that too. I always tell people, I'm like, you guys know that I'm a Jen Wilson fanatic. It's fine. <laughs> She's so great. So yeah, yeah. So that book fun. is my number one rec. I'll make sure to add that to the list. Thank you so much for your time today, Felicia. And um, where can everyone find you so they can follow along with your journey? Sure. So I am Felicia Masonheimer. Felicia with a P-H-Y. Like I said, it's a mouthful. Um, but FeliciaMasonheimer.com is my blog. And on Instagram and Facebook, I am Felicia Masonheimer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Gosh, what an important topic for us to talk about today. I love the insight and wisdom Felicia shared with us and her passion to help women learn how to discern what is true. You can find all of the resources we talk about in today's episode in our show notes on BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. As always, we are so encouraged by everyone's continued support for Behind the Bliss. Truly, it blows our minds to read your direct messages, your emails, your Instagram posts, and your reviews on iTunes. Speaking of reviews, could you take 30 seconds and leave us a review on iTunes? You have no idea how encouraging they are and how also helpful they are for those who may have never heard about our show decide to join our community of listeners online. Thank you guys so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.